this evening we're looking at Jacob and Esau's reunion, Genesis chapter 33. We'll be looking at the reunion of Jacob and his brother Esau. The last time they saw each other was 20 years earlier. And back then Jacob secured by deception uh, his brother's blessing from their father Isaac when he pretended to be Esau. And that little scheme was orchestrated by Jacob and Esau's mother, Rebekah. And it resulted in Jacob fleeing for his life from his angry brother. He went to his uncle Laban in Haran, where he took Laban's daughters Leah and Rachel to be his wives. Also, whilst Jacob sojourned in Haran, he fathered 11 of the eventual 12 patriarchs of the children of Israel and he fathered them by his uh, two wives, Leah and Rachel, and also their handmaids, Zilpah and Bilhah. Very significantly, the blessing that Jacob obtained from his father included receiving the land of Canaan, as an inheritance. Even though Jacob's methods were dishonest, uh, to say the very least, in, in obtaining the blessing, we, we saw that in time to come, Jacob's um, descendants, the children of Israel, they would indeed receive as an inheritance the land of Canaan and and so we can see ultimately it always was God's plan it was God's purpose that Jacob would receive um, the the promise of the land of Canaan and we can see that to be the case back in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 13 where the Lord appeared to Jacob in a dream and said to him the land whereon thou liest, he was lying down in Canaan, uh, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. In chapter 32, we saw Jacob's response, when having finally departed from Haran, after 20 long years of working for Laban, he set off with his household on a journey back to the promised land of Canaan and he received news from his servants that Esau was heading his way after, uh, with 400 men. And again, you need to remember that the last time they met, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. According to verse 7, in, verse 30, in chapter 22, according to verse 7, He was greatly afraid and distressed. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Jacob devised and put into place a strategy to appease Esau. We saw this last time. Uh, Should Esau still have murderous intentions towards his brother Jacob, uh, even after all those years? And so what Jacob did, he sent servants ahead with each of them having gifts to shower upon Esau and he separated the people who were with him into two companies the idea being that if one of the companies was attacked then the other company 
might escape. But most important of all, Jacob committed the situation to God in prayer. And we saw that in chapter 32. Just have a look at verse 11 again in verse 32, uh, chapter 22. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. So Jacob committed everything to God in prayer. Also, and perhaps what will be uh, remembered more than anything else, is that Jacob, having sent his family over the ford Jabbok, spent the night wrestling with a man who was seen to be the son of God. Jacob persisted until finally the Lord blessed him. And apart from anything else, that was seen as an encouragement to us to persist in prayer. First of all, this evening, we Jacob saw Esau approaching him. Look at verse 1 in chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and Rachel and unto the two handmaids. So having already heard from his servants in the previous chapter that Esau and 400 men were heading his way, Jacob now sees it for himself the next day when he lifted up his eyes and he saw them approaching. The brotherly reunion was very soon to take place even though Jacob had prayed to the Lord for deliverance. If ever Jacob had previously hoped that uh, a reunion with his brother might be averted, that hope evaporated when he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother advancing with 400 men. You probably know from your own experience that praying to God about something that distresses you and makes you greatly afraid does not necessarily make that thing go away. That's not to say that the Lord can't make it go away. Of course he can. The Lord can do whatever he wants to. But that is not usually what he does, whether it's in the Bible or in your own lives. You probably know that to be the case in your own lives when there's something that's about going to happen, maybe about to happen, and you really don't want that to happen. Pray to the Lord, but you needn't necessarily expect it to just vanish and go away. Even though the reunion between Jacob and Esau was most certainly going to take place, whether Jacob wanted to wanted it to or not, there's nevertheless a big difference to be seen in him. As has already been said, he was greatly afraid, he was distressed when he first heard about the coming of Esau and his 400 men in, in the previous chapter, in chapter 32. But now there's no mention of fear or distress. Maybe Jacob was still fearful, I don't know. But it's more likely that what can now be seen is Jacob whose trust is in the Lord and whom he has just spent the whole night wrestling with 
it's more likely that what we now see is Jacob with a holy boldness. Instead of hiding behind his family, he put himself in front of them, according to verse 3. Verse 3 there, he passed over before them. That wasn't the case in the previous chapter. When he put them into companies, he sent them over the Ford Jabbok, but now he's with them again and he's going before them. Even though he's got um, Esau and he's 400 men approaching, Jacob is right there in front. Even though Jacob had prayed for deliverance and even though he had reminded the Lord of his promises to him, he still took measures to protect his family, dividing them into groups. He's looking at verse 2 again. He put the handmaids and the children foremost, Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. So, at the very front, the two, the two concubines with their sons, then his wife Leah and her sons and presumably uh, the daughter Dinah as well. And at the back was his wife Rachel with her son Joseph. Rachel was Jacob's favourite wife. And as for Joseph, we'll, we'll, go, we'll see in later chapters that Joseph was Jacob's favourite son. That might explain why Rachel and Joseph were at the back, where it was safest, no doubt. There's something that I mentioned last time that I think is worth mentioning again, and that is that when you commit all things to the Lord, such as Jacob did, that does not give you licence to do nothing. Jacob didn't do nothing, having prayed to the Lord, having wrestled with the Lord all through the night. He still took precautions. He still divided his family up and and did what he needed to do. So you don't have license to do nothing. As the Bible expositor John G. Butler said, if you pray that God will keep you in good health, then you need to take the precaution of eating a proper diet and engaging in helpful exercises. If you pray that God will protect you through the harsh winter months, you need to make sure your central heating is in good running order before the winter arrives. If you pray for protection during thunder and lightning, it is not a lack of faith to head indoors and refuse to stand under a tree where lightning might strike. As we have said before, God does not work miracles when they are unnecessary, nor does he work miracles to keep us from responsible actions. Taking precaution in danger is not inconsistent with faith in God for your protection, for faith promotes wise conduct. Failure to take precaution is not faith, but foolishness. Dear Christian, when you commit things to God, the God of your salvation, and you do that and you don't snatch back what you've just committed to God, then you are free to go forward, not in your own strength, but in God's strength. For God's weakness is greater than any strength that you possess. Neither are you looking for your own wisdom as you proceed. 
you look to God, whose foolishness is infinitely greater than any wisdom that you possess. In other words, you are prayerfully entering whatever situation or whatever trial the Lord gives you each new day, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of your faith, who has promised to be with you. Jesus is your wisdom. Jesus is your strength. Also, Jesus is your sanctification and he is your justification. In fact, Jesus is your everything. And without him, you are nothing and you can do nothing. But as the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Secondly, Jacob approached Esau with humility. Look at verses 3 and 4. He passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So, Going ahead of his family, Jacob bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother Esau. I don't think I could do that even if I wanted to, bowing seven times like that. My my back wouldn't allow me to do that. Nevertheless, it was a custom to pay homage to kings in in such a way. And as well as Esau being Jacob's older brother and therefore worthy of respect, he was actually a king in his own right, inasmuch he was the progenitor or the founding father of the kingdom of Edom. So we needn't see what Jacob did as simply being an act of grovelling to him. He was doing what custom demanded in those days. And even now you see people bowing before the monarch. Jacob's actions demonstrated great humility in the presence of his brother whom he had wronged 20 years earlier and whom he now sought to be reconciled with. Also, I should imagine that every one of those seven bows was accompanied by fervent prayer to the Lord. As for Esau's response... Does it remind you of anything in the New Testament? Look at it again in verse 4. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Does that remind you of anything in the New Testament? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep, one of the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ about a son who claimed his inheritance, the father wasn't even dead, was he? The son claimed his inheritance before his father had died. He left home, he went off to a far-off country where he wasted all his inheritance on riotous living. You'll find that in Luke chapter 15. Things got so bad for the son that he ended up getting a job looking after pigs and eating pig food, which is about as low as you can get if you're a Jew. Anyway, Jesus said that the son came to himself 
He came to himself. In other words, he repented. That is abundantly clear in the words that he said, the son said. It's written in Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through to 19, that when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And then he set off on his journey home. But when he was still some distance away, we're told that his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Can you see the similarities? Esau received Jacob in much the same way that as the father in the parable received his son and forgave him. What can be seen in our passage is godly Jacob rightly humbling himself before Esau and seeking to find grace in his sight, having cheated him out of his blessing all those years ago. Jacob addressed Esau as my Lord and was determined to ingratiate Esau by giving him many gifts. As for Esau, he very kindly addressed Jacob as my brother and he only took the gifts from him when he was urged to. Twenty long years had passed since Jacob's deception and in that time Esau had fared very well in the world. The very, the very fact that he had an entourage of 400 men says something about his power and his importance. Also, maybe Esau's murderous intentions towards his brother Jacob had long gone and Jacob... Uh, And what Jacob had done to him 20 years earlier was as good as forgotten. Esau was undoubtedly gracious. He was forgiving towards Jacob. But having said that, we needn't get carried away and imagine that Esau was a godly man. He wasn't. Far from it. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16 tells us, that he was a profane or ungodly man who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Profane or ungodly, that was Esau. Even so, Jacob was right in seeking to find grace in Esau's sight. By, and by way of application, I would say that one of the marks of a true Christian, in other words, someone who really has confessed his sins before a holy righteous, holy and righteous God and has received forgiveness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the marks of such a person is a preparedness to humble himself and seek forgiveness from whoever he has wronged, whether that person is a Christian or not. I don't see that it matters. If you've cheated someone, as a Christian or as a godly person, you would you would you would seek um, to be reconciled to that person. 
Also, it goes to show that the Lord was answering Jacob's prayer to deliver him, and ultimately that deliverance would be in accordance with the promise that the Lord first made to Jacob's grandfather, to Abraham, concerning the land of Canaan, but ultimately beyond that, concerning blessings to every fam- to all families of the earth in his seed. This was the promise that was first given to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob. The promised seed is the Lord Jesus Christ in and through whom every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is received by all who come to themselves, to all who repent towards God for their sins and trust in Jesus as their saviour and their lord. And the thing to remember, and, and to appreciate here rather, is that within Jacob's family, as as we've seen, the, the two concubines were at the front with their children, and then Leah and her children, uh, and and then at the back was Rachel and Joseph. Interesting, Joseph's the only one who's named there. Turns out to be Jake, um, Jacob's favourite son, Joseph's the only one who was named. But anyway, one of those sons in all of that was a boy named Judah. So whilst Jacob was busy doing what he had to do as a responsible husband and father and going before them as uh, when Esau came along with his 400 men, he was doing all the right things, he committed it all to God in prayer. But one of those boys, was, was his name was Judah, who was Jacob's son by Leah. He was in the lineage of the promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the book of Revelation is declared to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. So it's fair to say that Judah was going to be kept safe by the Lord and nothing was ever going to happen to that young man. Even so, Jacob took responsibility. He did what he had to do to protect his family and he humbly prostrated himself before his ungodly brother, seeking to receive grace and by the grace of God, he received it. Those of you who have not yet done so, you must humble yourself, not before an ungodly Esau, but you must humble yourself before a holy and righteous God, seeking his grace and mercy and forgiveness for all your sins and your rebellion against him. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that your sins were laid upon him at the cross, and God will forgive you your sins, and he will remember your sins no more. Amen.